Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. Welcome to Counterthought. President Biden is said to be just a couple of weeks away from making his decision regarding the student loan crisis. Is he going to take off 10000 Is he going to take off 50000 Are there going to be caps on the amount based on your income? Is he going to do anything at all? Well, whatever it is, the student loan crisis is something that needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be dealt with now. So the student loan crisis is something that has been talked about for years. It goes back to the previous election. It goes back to the 2020 election. Biden made a promise during the 2020 campaign that he was going to reduce the student loans for everyone, like blanket across the board, of $10,000. You have senators like Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren that are leading the charge from the Democrat Party saying, hey, no, we need $50,000. $50,000, and that will take care of at least 80%, 85%, I believe, of all student loans that are out there. And then the goal is to bring up and close things like the wealth gap that is generated and that is increased when it comes to the student loan repayment that is happening in our country. Right now, student loan debt totals to be $1.74 trillion with a T dollars. $1.74 trillion right now with outstanding student loan debt. And as I'm sure you're familiar with, the student loans have been on a pause ever since 2020 during the pandemic. That pause started in, I believe, May of 2020 under President Trump, and it has been extended four, maybe five times now, I believe. It was supposed to start back up on May 1st, but now it has been extended through through August, or maybe it was April 1st, but now it's been extended through through August. And going back to last year, President Biden said that he was going to get a committee together to do this analysis, a legal analysis, to see if he has the ability through executive order to cross off, you know, forgive, let's say $10,000 if he has that power. Well, he talked about that. I'm pretty sure that's coming up on about anywhere between nine months ago to a year from now or a year ago, and nothing has come. Now, going back a couple of weeks, it was talked about how the Hispanic coalition, um, I don't, that's not the right term, but uh, senators or within the House of Representatives President Biden was over there talking to them and he was talking about and it was said that he mentioned or talked specifically about student loan forgiveness caucus. That's the word I'm looking for, the Hispanic caucus. And he talked about, you know, $10,000 is something that he was really considering. Well, obviously that spread like wildfire through last week. We've had some news that has happened since then, but, you know, 
this week, last week, and, and next week, it, something could be happening here within the next two, three, maybe four weeks. Is Biden actually going to forgive any of the student debt? Would that be good? I posted a a TikTok video last week. I think it was on maybe a, a Friday, maybe about a week and a half ago. So um, about two Fridays ago, something like that about this. And in my in my video, and this just this just encapsulates where people are. In my video, all I said was that I was tired of Republicans talking about student loan debt, the student loan crisis, and I believe we can call it a crisis. I mean, I already mentioned it is at 1.74, almost 1.75 trillion with a T dollars. But I was sick and tired of hearing Republicans sound so insensitive and just spewing the same talking points that shows they have not even done their research talking like, oh, well, if he just does sweeping forgiveness or $50,000 of forgiveness, that it is only going to benefit the rich kids who went to a private school and got a useless degree. Well, that is not the case. And as a Republican, I hated hearing Republicans talk like that. Hated hearing them talk like that because Republican the Republican Party is already known as the like the party that lacks compassion. You know, the Democrat Party is the 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 party of of emotions and of and of feelings and all of these things. The Republican Party is like, hey, bootstraps, you know, we want you to be able to make your own way and we want you to be responsible with your decisions. So student debt falls within that responsibility bucket and sorry, but not sorry. You know, you're going to have to find a way through capitalism and through everything else to to pay back your loans and, you know, to prosper. Well, the way they sound it, though, and here's some examples I'll just show you real quickly on the screen. Um, Nikki Haley pops up there. Um, Representative Jim Jordan pops up there. You know, they're just like cold sounding, right? I mean, student loan forgiveness is is stupid. This is a slap in the face to others who did not go to college or who did go to college and already paid back their loans. You know, language like that, it just... Just I don't I bet you they didn't even they haven't even gone out and talked to any of their constituents. Now Nikki Haley is not in Congress. She's the former US ambassador, former governor of South Carolina. She is not in Congress. Jim Jordan is. But what I want the Republican Party to do is either move away from talking about the student loan crisis and po- possibility for student loan forgiveness altogether, or change the messaging. Because the Democrat Party is using this for politics, using this for politics, because one of the ways they believe that they can mobilize the younger generation, those who, you know, can now vote. So 18 through early to mid thirties, early forties, like myself is, is through a promise of forgiveness or action of some type of student loan forgiveness. And the Republicans are just trying to dismiss it and, you know, just, they just seem so cold hearted. And as a Republican, what I want the Republican Party to do is acknowledge what is really happening. So like I said, we're at $1.75 trillion, and that's for 43 43 million borrowers. There are 330 million people within the United States 
believe 75 million of those are children. So we're talking about more like 270, 260 million adults. And we're saying 43 million of them have have student loan debt. So that's about one in five, one in six adults have have student loan debt. And student loans didn't always used to didn't always used to be a crisis. When my parents went to school, I think they maybe graduated with two thousand dollars, if any, student loan debt. But the job market then, going back to the early seventies, they could go out and get a job that would allow them to, you know, pay for a mortgage on a house, pay for the student loans, pay for their health care, pay for this, pay for that, you know, all these responsibilities, pay for childcare. Well, <clears throat> as this as this next graphic shows, the cost of college has severely outpaced wage growth. You can see that the cost of of college has well exceeded it. We're talking about cost of college has gone up nearly 2,000% or about 1,500. And the wage growth over that same time period from 1980 to about 2020 over the last 40 years has only increased about 200%. So we're talking over six, seven, eight times the amount of wage growth. And there is a reason for this, and that is what I want to get to with, with this episode, and that is what I want to get to with this larger, broader discussion for the Republican Party. I'm not asking the Republican Party to say, yes, there needs to be loan forgiveness. That is what I got to got it in my TikTok, and I'll read some of those comments a little bit later in this episode. But in my TikTok video, I said, like, you know, I'm tired of the Republican Party and their and their talking points. They're they just seem so cold hearted. They don't acknowledge what's really going on. They make false assumptions. They're they're spouting lies with their statistics that they throw out there. And what I want the Republican Party to do is to actually have a conversation saying, starting now, starting today and moving forward, how can we fix the student loan crisis? And it drives me up the wall when when these Congress congressmen, men and women, when they sit here and act like they have no part and no power. You are in the United States Congress. You are the legislative branch. You pass laws. You could actually do something to fix this. You could do something to fix this. The average student debt is seven, is $37,000. That is the average debt balance. I myself have 30,000 to go. I started with 66, I have 30,000 to go. And that is after 10 years of payments and four and a half of those years paying $600 above the minimum. So I've spent about, I've paid about 60, 56 to $60,000 on my loans. Started at 66, yet I still have 30,000 to go because interest rates are so high. Student loan, student loan interest rates are higher than mortgages. Mortgages you can get anywhere most of the time between 3%, 4% on maybe like a 30-year fixed mortgage. Well, my, if I did the minimum payment and did my 30-year repayment plan on my loan, my mortgage, my, not my mortgage, my interest payment is six and a quarter percent, almost double the percentage rate of, of a mortgage. Yes, mortgages are, are higher than mine, but 6.25% makes it very difficult to 
cut at that principal, which brings down the amount of interest you're paying month after month after month after month after month, right? That's how that's how repayment works on a loan. So the average public university student borrows about $30,000 to attain just a bachelor's degree. That is a bachelor's degree. When I finished with my bachelor's degree and I went to a public school, I went to the University of Florida, enrolled in the fall or actually the summer of 2004. It was one of the least expensive public universities within the country at that time. And I finished undergrad with around $20,000 of student debt. That's for four years. Well, when I graduated, that was the, I did a four and a half year plan. So I graduated in December of 2008 and that was the housing crash. That was the, the great recession that we experienced due to the housing market. And I remember being told by people within the university and others within just the financial world, the job market saying, Hey, if you were considering to get an advanced degree to get like a master's degree. Now would be the time to do it because the jobs are not there. So I said to myself, okay, well, ever since I've been a kid, I've been told that, you know, to differentiate, differentiate yourself, you know, and how do you do that? You get good grades, you do extracurricular activities, you have hobbies, you participate in different clubs and so on and so forth. And you prepare yourself. And then when you get into college, you do some of the same things, you different clubs, you know, volunteering as much job experience as you can get, get good grades. And then what's another differentiator? An advanced degree. So I said, all right, well, if there's no job out there for me, I might as well go get an advanced degree. And that master's degree cost me twice as much as my bachelor's degree and only going to school half the time. So I went from the end of my bachelor's degree with $20,000 worth of debt to graduating with my master's degree with $60,000 worth of debt. So four years of school for 20,000, advanced degree is always more expensive, two years extra, but add another $40,000 worth of debt. And that was, my end of my master's degree was the spring of 2011. So we are 11 years past that. And as I showed you in that chart on that slide just a little bit ago, you can see the rise of the cost of college. And it has severely, again, outpaced wage growth. And the reason for this is, goes back to the history of, of student loans. So the Higher Education Act of 1965 gave federal loans to state schools for low interest loans. Well, that Higher Education Act it has been amended and reauthorized by Congress again and again and again and again and again to support higher education. This is where it's gotten to. It has been amended and re-upped, reauthorized so many times that it's gone from just low interest loans back in 1965 to now you can go get a degree from a college or university and get a loan even if schools can get money from the federal government, even if that money does not go directly to benefit students. FAFSA. <laughs> I remember FAFSA. If you've been to college, you know FAFSA. Uh, I did not come from like an affluent family that I believe that's obvious in the story I just told. But I remember FAFSA. I remember my mom helping me fill out those forms, you know, as 
as a senior in high school getting ready to attend the University of Florida. There are FAFSA forms. Uh, I don't think they were by hand at that time. I think in 2004, they had moved to, to online. But FAFSA was created. And what FAFSA does is it basically every child fills it out and it is the student's first step toward getting financial aid. And then there's the Stafford Loan Program. I have some Stafford Loans. The Stafford Loans was also created from an amended that amended Higher Education Act. And then in 1992, the Higher Education Act, Congress created the Unsubsidized Loan Program. There is subsidized and unsubsidized loans. And these unsubsidized loans allowed students of any income level, repeat, any income level, to get federally guaranteed student loans. Well, if you're the university, if you're the college, and you know that the student is guaranteed to get like the amount that they apply for, and that money is gonna go straight to your pocket to cover the cost of college, you as the college and university are gonna think, hmm, hmm, oh, maybe we should maybe we should raise the, the tuition cost, you know, the per credit hour, maybe we, maybe we should do that. You know that we can that we can increase our profits and we can hire more staff and and kind of try to separate ourselves from the other universities. So yeah, 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 we'll do that because the government is guaranteeing this loan for the kid to go to college. You know he got accepted into our university. She got accepted into our university. You know we've this is how much it cost. This is how much the government's going to pay. You know, like just blindly sign. So let's raise the cost. And then there was uh, the Student Loan Reform Act of 1993, which changed student loans by creating a new federal direct loan program. I have those. I can see. I can see the logo right up here in my head. I can. I can see it printed on the outside of the envelope, printed on the letterhead of the paper whenever those um, were mailed to me back in the day. Federal Direct Loan Program. I can remember it. Big, bold, black letters. And in the direct loan program, the government, through the Department of Education, was now originating their, their, their own loans and paying those to the colleges. So the colleges are just getting guaranteed money. And the colleges, yeah, they can give out scholarships to the um, well-educated, to those kids who earned it. I have friends who got scholarships from the University of Florida and from other other colleges. I did not I had great grades in high school. I guess my SAT or my ACTs weren't weren't high enough, but so I had to do the the loan route to attend there. And again, trying to differentiate myself. I didn't want to go to community college. That that was never even considered. Community college was my was my backup plan. It was either the University of Florida or nothing. And what I wonder is all the comments I received on the TikTok video, and I'll, I'll read some of them here in a, in a minute. But what I realized from those comments on my TikTok video, which again was just advocating for the Republican Party to engage in the larger conversation of what can we do to fix the student loan crisis moving forward? How can we, let's say, have colleges put skin in the game? have the federal government, you know, <laughs> not be so predatory upon kids and not just sign 
the check to the university saying, hey, here you go. You know, how about there be some standards for the federal government to either before they either issue a loan or maybe the federal government gets out of it altogether. And then the loans are private, you know, let the banks be more involved one on one with the students. But one thing I realized from the comments that I got on this TikTok video were that if the person listened to my video, some of them said, oh, you know, that's sensible. Yeah, let's have this bigger discussion. Or they asked questions like, you know, what would your plan be? What what do you propose? But about 75% of the comments were, man, you just need to pay your debt. You're just trying to look for a free ride. Why is it my responsibility to pay your debt because of the inflation that writing a 1.5 $1.75 trillion check from the federal government would boost the inflation even higher and then I'll be paying for it. I paid back my loans and I just kept responding to them. Do you, do you not listen? There is nuance to this conversation. There is nuance to what I said. I'm not asking for forgiveness. Would it, would it be nice? Uh, yeah. Cause I can tell you that I'm still a renter. And one of the reasons why we are still renting is because the money that could have been set aside for a down payment on a home, and I'm talking about a real down payment, the 20% to get rid of that PMI, the mortgage insurance, has been going or has gone to student loans. But about three quarters of these comments on the TikTok video were just, man, I don't need to pay back your loans. Why should I do that? I was responsible. You sign the contract, it's your responsibility. And I'm just like, I'm just like, I, I get that. I get that. I'm not advocating for forgiveness. I'm advocating for how to fix the student loan issue going forward. So I realized that people just want to spout stuff out. They just want to get, they just want to say what they want to say, regardless of, of what you actually say. So for those of you listening to this video that actually do want to engage in this discussion, please leave your comments in this video. I'll respond to them. We can have the conversation because I want to fix this problem moving forward because as you can see from that, that chart I showed earlier, the it's just going up and to the right at a nice, I would say, 30 to 45 degree angle for the cost of tuition for colleges. Whereas the wage growth is chilling like a, like a low grade, a low-grade incline going up the, the smallest of hills here in the state of Florida. It is outpacing it again five to six times to one, the cost of college and wage growth. How are people ever going to consistently be able to pay off their debt while doing so many other things? Here's some hard stats for you. From 1980 to 2020, over that time period, inflation 236%, college tuition and fees up 1,200. So again, five to six times. Between 2000 and 2008, and I was in undergrad during that time, or 2018, from 2000 to 2018, undergraduate enrollment in degree-granting institutions has increased by 26%. So even though the cost of college is going up, up, and up, there is an increase in enrollment. So that tells me that the message is still being put into these kids' brains that, hey, you need to differentiate yourself. You need to differentiate yourself. And one way to do that is to go to college to get a degree. 
at least one degree. And according to a study by the New York Fed, every dollar in subsidized federal student loans increases the cost of college by 60 cents. And the student loan debt has doubled since the 2008 recession, which again is when I finished undergrad and decided to go to grad school. And now seven in 10 seniors in college are graduating with an average $30,000 worth of loan debt. I graduated with twice that, but the average, seven in 10, the average is 30,000. Now, one of the issues that this student loan crisis is causing is this uh, wealth gap, which is affecting mortgages and families from buying homes. I already mentioned that, you know, we, one of the reasons we don't have a home is because we decided we wanted to get rid of all of our consumer debt, all of our student loans first. All the student loans were mine. We got rid of our other consumer debt. We don't owe any money on our, on our cars. We haven't owed any money on our vehicles. You know, don't plan on getting a new one anytime soon. Knock on wood, you know, don't want any big, big repairs for the car. But we paid off those. We did the Dave Ramsey snowball and everything. And again, for four and a half years, 54 months, we were paying $600, $600 over the minimum for the student loans. Again, like $54,000 just being dumped to these loans, which sucked. Much rather have $54,000 being going towards a mortgage on a house here in Orlando or maybe 40,000 of that, and then the other 15,000 being put into um, retirement accounts, you know, to secure our future and financial freedom. But when it comes to the impact on mortgages, home ownership is considered essential for long-term financial stability. Owning a home, that is why it was, has been so important for decades and decades is to own a home. Because if you're just renting, the argument is that you're just throwing your money away. You're not putting equity. You're not building equity in anything because you're just renting. You don't own the home. You're not putting any money into a home. You can't use the equity that you've put into a home through your mortgage payments and use it as like a, a loan on your house, which I don't recommend. But you know, you're not building any equity. You're not eventually going to own anything as a, as a renter. So it contributes to that to that wealth gap. Research shows that the home ownership rate for young adults with student debt has declined over the last 10 years. Also, this study shows that individuals with higher amounts of student debt are less likely to also be a homeowner. Less likely to be a homeowner. I think that that makes sense, right? That that positive correlation there that the more student debt you have, the less likely you are to be a homeowner. And there has also been a growth in the median, median, right? The, the middle number of student loan debt has outpaced the median income level. Again, goes back to the statistic I just read in that chart I showed. We are talking about cost of college going way up to the right and Wage growth being one fifth of that, so just just a slow little walk up the nice the nice little hill. And that wealth gap it, it continues 
it is continuing to grow. From the first quarter of 2007 to the first quarter of 2019, so 12 full years there, the home ownership rate for individuals under 35 years old, which I'm about to turn 36 um, in about one month from now in, in early June, the uh, home ownership rate for individuals under 35 years old has declined by 15% from Q1 2007 to Q1 2019. And that is dropping from 41% to 35% of individuals under 35 years old. So we've gone from, you know, two fifths of 35 year olds or younger to now just one third. And then in 2019, homeowners had a median net worth of $255,000. Again, home ownership is one of the long-term like foundations, the pillars of long-term financial success. In 2019, homeowners had a median net worth of $255,000, while renters have a median net worth of $6,300. 255,000 compared to 6,300. And if you pay attention to this argument for the student loan crisis, you hear that talked about all the time, especially from those who are really pushing wanting forgiveness, like Senator Elizabeth Warren. She talks about the wealth gap all the time. And there's the data to bring it up, right? I mean, that, that shows that there, that is a downfall of the student loan crisis of just giving kids loans, whether they truly can afford college or not. So there is a big problem that needs to be fixed. And I want the Republican party to engage in this conversation. Those that want forgiveness, they say things like, why make others go through the same struggle that, that you had to quote struggle. I saw that come pop up in the comments in here. I'll, I'll throw up some of these comments right here so you can read them. Um, using the term struggle, it's like the Republicans say there's no struggle. How can it be a struggle when you agreed and signed on the dotted line for the loan? Well, it feels like a struggle to some when you're repaying and you're also trying to save and then you have other expenses and then you just get the personal responsibility argument from Republicans instead of the I hear you. And yes, that is tough, but you can turn it around in numerous ways through our capitalist system. But beyond that, let's talk about how we can fix this for future generations. You also hear the pro-forgiveness talking points to be the cost to Americans will be made up by the by the boom in economy. And I'm I'm led to believe that. If the you know, for the last two years with the student loan payment pause. We've been able to put away that $1,000 a month to save up for a mortgage, to save up for that down payment. Now, that would be nice. Like if, like I said, if, if the loans were forgiven, how many millions of people would have that same feeling of, yes, like this, this burden is now off my shoulders. Yes, I signed for it, but that is now off. That is off the books. And now we can start stockpiling in for retirement. We can stockpile money away for a mortgage on a home, buy houses. Republicans love to talk about how BlackRock is buying up all of these single family homes and driving up the cost through just renting them out. Well, one way to stop a corporation from or an investment firm from buying up all 
these single family homes would be to have more people who can afford single family homes. Just saying. Talk about lifts the bottom up again, closing the wealth gap. That's another pro-forgiveness argument. Decreases <clears throat> the wealth gap. Make colleges pay, right? I mentioned that at the top of the episode. Put Make the colleges have skin in the game. Actually look at the root causes of this. Once the government got involved in federalizing these loans and then being a guarantee, the cost of college has gone up exponentially. But the wages haven't gone up exponentially. So maybe corporations need to be part of this conversation too and say, hey, stop putting um, within job recs, job requirements, to say that you need an advanced degree or a bachelor's degree or a master's degree when maybe you really don't for that job. Because if you are saying that you have to have it, that it's a job requirement, that is going to influence that career path that those, um, those majors in school and the path these kids are taking to try to get those jobs. So maybe colleges need to have some skin in the game. Maybe federal government needs to get out of the game partially or completely. And then maybe employers need to put some skin in the game and take some responsibility for basically puffing up the actual job requirements that are needed for, for certain positions. And then you have my um, TikTok video comments. Again, most of them, I mean, you can see them here on the screen. They don't want to have this larger conversation. They just want to shout at me or they did shout at me through, you know, keyboard warrior style talking about how it's my responsibility. Yes, I, I know this. That's not what I'm getting at. I want this larger discussion. Um, you know, there's a good one here. You know, what about loan forgiveness for business owners that didn't go to school and took a loan out? Should you forgive? Should you pay for that loan? That seems fair. You know, um, you need government out of the loan shark business. College only got this expensive with government-backed loans. Another one, like a personal decision, right? I go to school, but I bought I didn't go to school, but I bought an eighty thousand dollar Audi. Can I get that paid off? You know, just all of these different different comments, which aren't getting at the the real issue moving forward. So, what should be done? What are the solutions that we can talk about that we can explore? There are some good ones that were mentioned within the TikTok video that I posted. You know, make colleges pay for the loan forgiveness. If we're going to go the forgiveness route, whether that's 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, whether that's 10,000, you know, with a cap based on your income, make, make the colleges pay that. They have endowments. They have huge, huge budgets. Make them pay for it. I mean, they've got all this free money for years, for decades now. Make, make them pay for it. Uh, you could also forgive maybe the the debt balance, right? So like for me, that would be the government pays off the $30,000, but then refinances it instead of that 6.25%, refinances it at 0%. And then I am paying just the $30,000 with, with no interest included. Um, I had a proposal through, I think, the TikTok video or maybe on Instagram saying that should just refund the interest that's already been paid by the student loan borrowers and then refinance the debt again at 0%. Do forgiveness based on income. You know, we've mentioned that a few times. Cap it. I've seen reports out this past week that Biden's thinking about 
if you make over $125,000, then you are excluded from any type of, of forgiveness. Is that the best amount? Should it be maybe income by the state you live in? Because $125,000 is goes a lot farther. That's a, considered a high wage in Florida, but in New York, like New York City or LA or San Francisco or Chicago, you know, that's not the case at all. And then maybe there should be forgiveness based on income and your debt balance. You know, like maybe that's something that could be could be explored. Either way, whether there's forgiveness or not, changes need to be made. They need to be made now. Otherwise, we're going to continue and it's going to be perpetual, you know, year after year after year after year after year. And this crisis is going to get worse and worse and worse. So not everyone's financial story is the same. That is one thing I want to leave you with. Not everyone's financial story is the same. So don't assume, like a lot of people did on my TikTok video, don't assume that you know my financial situation. I had plenty of people comment on there saying, like acted like they knew why I am where I am financially. And they don't. And I don't pretend that I know why people are where they are financially whether it's the decisions they, they made that put them where they are, or maybe they had something happen to them that they could not control that put them where they are. I don't know. So just baseline, don't assume you know other people's situation or and don't assume that you know their history and why they are where they are. Congress needs to restructure. They need to actually do some work, actually do some work, and restructure, redo the student loan system. Because it's, I mean, we can all agree that it's terrible. Whether whether you're for, you know, repaying it back and, and abiding by the contract that you signed or for some type of forgiveness, we can agree, right? I showed you the stats. I showed you the charts. I, everything. It is not a good situation. Congress needs to actually do work, pass a law. They have oversight over Department of Education and all of the administrative branch. You know, that's that's, that's how our government works. They need to restructure this, this whole system. And then colleges and universities need to have skin in the game. If they are, you know, they're the ones teaching the students. So they need to have skin in the game and take responsibility and elevate the level of education that they are giving at their schools. And that would, if I would think that would elevate the education level if the colleges and universities said like, oh man, like if we don't, you know, if we don't get a certain job placement rate or something like that, then we're going to be on the hook to pay back maybe a higher, like a percentage of the of the loans that we received from the government or from a private bank if it was a private loan. And then finally, if there is any student debt relief, I believe there should be income restrictions. Someone who is making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, whether that's in Florida or New York, which would be the equivalent of like 125000 they don't need the same forgiveness, I would say, as someone who is making 40000 like a, a teacher's salary, or someone who is making maybe 35000 or something like that, but has $500 a month monthly payment for their student loans, that there needs to be, and again, it's been mentioned that that would be something that Biden would include if he does anything. I believe there, if there is any forgiveness, there would need to be income caps on it. It doesn't just need to be blanket. We saw that with our um, 
certain payments and stuff going on during the pandemic and we saw the fraud that occurred just it doesn't need to be sweeping and just a blanket amount it needs to be there needs to be income restrictions on any type of loan any type of forgiveness for a loan the focus needs to be if there is forgiveness it needs to be on those who need the relief the most so i want you to leave your thoughts your plans your proposals in the comments of this video. And I want Democrats and Republicans in Congress to finally do their job and fix this issue at the root cause. Don't stick a Band-Aid on it. Dig in deep, find the problem, and fix it. That is what I want, and that is what I expect from Congress. And I want that expectation to actually come to fruition and change this student loan crisis for the future generations of our country. Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube and engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at counterthought CEO or on Facebook at counterthought podcast.